Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. I wanted to talk about the economy a little bit and what I see happening here. And this, by the way, we've already seen this happen now. We've seen it happen in China. If we simply look at what's going on, we look at China, look at northern Italy, look at South Korea. What we are seeing are economies essentially shutting down. There are some indications that China is starting to come back that they may have this virus under control. But that said, it's China. And so they may be covering things up, too. I mean, Judd Legum is talking about, over on Twitter, actually, how the website, the federal website that is confirmed in presumptive positive cases in the United States, on March 1st, it showed that there had been a total of 472 people tested. And out of those, there are, let's see, 22 total cases that have been found, which seems to me to be around that 2% number. But that's only 472 cases. But when you look on the exact same website today, the number of total tested is gone. It's missing. And Judd is suggesting that he says, the CDC has stopped disclosing the number of Americans tested for coronavirus on March 1st. On the left is the website, how it looked last night. On the right is what it looks like now with the testing information removed. This lack of testing is a scandal, and this is the cover-up. And uh, I think Judd is absolutely right, and uh, I am liking his tweet right now. But, I mean, this is a big deal. So, anyhow, back to the economy. As we see in uh, northern Italy, for example, Venice has emptied out. Tourists are not coming. The restaurants are empty. The stores are empty. It's like things are closing down. Things are shutting down. The same thing is happening in Seoul, South Korea. And the same thing, I think, will be happening here as we start seeing larger numbers of this virus showing up. And it's going to. I mean, this is as communicable as the common cold. There are probably tens of thousands of people in the United States right now. I mean, if we've only tested 412 or 472 people, whatever the number was that I just had on Judd's website. There we go. We've tested 472 people. South Korea has tested, what, 80,000, something like that? Some mind-boggling number. I mean, it's just huge numbers. And, and therefore, they're finding thousands of cases. When we start doing large-scale testing, we're going to start finding large-scale clusters. Because, again, the vast majority of people, 80% of people who get this disease, either don't have any symptoms or they have symptoms that are so mild that they just think they have a cold. So, anyways, as people stop going out to restaurants and stop going to the movie theater and stop getting on airplanes... And we're already seeing this, you know, conferences and conventions all around the country, all around the world are being canceled right now. You know, I've got my plane tickets to go to Milwaukee for the Democratic convention in, what is it, in June, I think it is, or May, yeah, July, whenever it is, yeah. I've already got the tickets, but I'm thinking, do I really want to do this? And I'm guessing a lot of Americans are thinking that way. I mean, we've seen air traffic down in Asia so substantially that it's actually immeasurably reducing the amount of carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere. This is something that we all need to get ready for. 
And, you know, I've been talking for years in this program about, you know, how crashes happen and how fragile our economy is and how it's being held together basically with bailing wire and bubble gum, particularly since 2008, but I would say in large part since 2000. And that, you know, the steps that we need to be taking, you know, don't take on more debt. Try to pay off whatever debt you have. Try to get financially stable and solid. You know, keep keep your job. You know, don't don't take risks right now. This is not a time to be risky with regard to economics. And you might want to seriously think about what's going on in your 401k. And I don't want to give investment advice. You know, it very often works out badly when I try to do that. But Nouriel Roubini, the economist who was nicknamed Doctor Doom because back in 2007 he was saying, as I was saying, there is a crash coming. Look out. He believes that the spread of the coronavirus is going to tank the stock market. And he also says that this is going to cost Trump the 2020 election. Nouriel Roubini, he says, the Democratic field is poor, but Trump is dead. He says, I live in New York City and people there are hardly going to restaurants, cinemas or theaters. If this comes, we are totally screwed. He says uh, Trump is going to lose his talking point of the greatest economy ever. I guess the upside of this is that when economies are going into the tank, and we saw this, you know, to some extent in 2008 when John McCain lost to Barack Obama. I mean, rather than continuing a Republican presidency, it was like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to choose a Democrat. So this could be the event, among other things. But get ready, prudently, thoughtfully. Don't panic. But. This is how this has played out in three other countries that we can look at. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Welcome back. During the break, uh, Louise had sent me a link to a story about how Chinese scientists have now identified two separate strains of this uh, coronavirus B, COVID-19 coronavirus. Uh, One is more aggressive than the other, and about 70% of the early cases were the more aggressive variety. The the virus is apparently mutating and uh, apparently becoming less aggressive, whatever that means. I mean, we'll find out. But as I was reading that story on the CNBC.com website, suddenly a banner popped up on the top, breaking news, you know, one of those bright red banners. And uh, the headline was, stock gains accelerate, Dow surges 850 points as United Healthcare heads for the best day since 2009. So I clicked on that, and sure enough, uh, Joe Biden was doing well in the primary. Tuesday's primary results sent healthcare stocks flying. The healthcare select sector Spider ETF traded more than 4% higher. United Health and Centene jumped 9.2 and 13.4% respectively. Shares of United Health were on pace for their biggest one-day gain since 2009. So, yeah, I guess that's an anticipation of you know, more Obamacare and less Medicare for all. So, you know, that's it is what it is. We'll see where this goes. So Donald Trump first, well, first of all, he has known since November, if he's paying attention and listening to his security people. And since December, if he's watching Fox News, and that's his only source of news, that there was this coronavirus outbreak in China and that it was spreading fast and it was not going to be something that could be easily contained like SARS and MERS. Those viruses are not only much harder to catch, but they also have a much higher death rate. And so, frankly, as a result of that, it's easier to identify people who have it and lock areas down, but mostly because it's nowhere near as contagious as this COVID-19. So first, Trump ignored it. And like I said, he's known for four months. The National Security Council and Department of Homeland Security each had, when Trump came into office, specific divisions to deal with epidemic diseases like this. And because those were offices in these two agencies that were created, or divisions or departments or whatever they're called, that were created by Barack Obama, Donald Trump said, well, (laughs) that was Obama. We've got to do away with that. And so he closed them both, fired their people. So we have nobody in the Department of Homeland Security looking out for us 
in the context of epidemic diseases, and we have nobody in the National Security Council looking out for the security of the United States and our people in the context of contagious diseases. And Trump has done absolutely nothing. I mean, he's known about this for four months. And it's just insane. I mean, there was a New York City physician who was on CNBC. Uh, I believe it was last night. We caught this clip of it. And, you know, this guy is like seriously PO'd. I mean, he is like major upset. This was on CNBC's uh, Squawk Box. And his name is Dr. Matt McCarthy. And he's trying to get test kits. He said, in New York State, the person who tested positive is only the 32nd test we've done in this state. That's a national scandal. He points out in South Korea, health health officials have tested over 100,000 people. The U.S., as of February 29th, according to the CDC, had tested 472 people. He says, you know, they're testing 10,000 people a day in some countries. And we can't get this off the ground? I mean, that's how bad it is. And we do need to be doing more testing because, you know, if we're going to try to contain this thing, we, we need to find the people who are not symptomatic or only minorly ill, but who are spreading the disease to people who are more vulnerable, you know, more vulnerable populations, people who are elderly and people who are not in good health. I got a note from a doctor at the Evergreen Hospital where the first death in the U.S. occurred, just a personal email. And she says, I knew this patient, who, the guy who died in the Evergreen Hospital, enough to wave when I saw him as an outpatient. She says, thanks for reminding people that the death rate is likely lower as we are not testing the mild cases, only the small number of cases turning up at the hospital. Now, why is that? Well, because we can't get testing. Oregonians, I mean, this is just the state where I live, right? And our state government now has a daily email that you can subscribe to where the State Department of Health tells you, here's the update on what we know. That's great. Our governor is being so transparent about this and all this kind of stuff. But still, the state of Oregon, they're guessing right now that between 400 and 1,500 people in this state have the coronavirus. Brad Schmidt, writing for the Oregonian, our local newspaper owned by a New York company, says the advance of coronavirus to a remote town more than 200 miles from Portland means the virus is fairly widespread in our community but not broad enough to start aggressive containment, Oregon's top medical officer said. But it's not clear how this Umatilla County resident, a casino worker, contracted the disease. And then he goes on to note, to date, Oregon has only tested 28 people. Oregon, since January 24th, has monitored 327 individuals who do not have symptoms, but may have been exposed through close contact. As it stands, the Oregon Health Authority has 1,500 coronavirus test kits. That's the most we can do at the current testing rate and the capacity to complete about 80 tests a day. So question number one is, how is the coronavirus outbreak affecting you? Right? Are you have you changed any of your habits? Are you avoiding public places? Are you keeping your kids from school? Do you run a business that's been affected by the coronavirus? Are you a healthcare worker? And if so, what are you learning? What are you hearing? Here, this is from a a woman in Seattle. This is a Twitter thread. Her Twitter handle is into underscore the underscore brush. And she says, I live in Seattle. I have all the symptoms of COVID-19 and I have a history of chronic bronchitis since I work in a physical therapy clinic with many patients over 65 years old and with chronic illnesses, I decided to be responsible and get tested. Okay, so here's this woman who's working with elderly people and who has a lot of contact with the public and is in Seattle where there's been an outbreak and it's spreading apparently. And so she wants to get tested. I mean, this is just, she's trying to be responsible, right? I mean, she's working with a high-risk population and she's a healthcare worker and she has symptoms right now. So I called the Corona hotline, I'm quoting from her thread now. I called the Corona hotline, I was on hold for 40 minutes and gave up. So I looked up the CDC and Washington, the state of Washington public health websites. They told me to see a primary care doctor. I called two primary care doctors. 
One told me that they don't know where to get testing and that I should not seek out testing. And the other one told me to go to an emergency room or an urgent care center. So I called the urgent care center and they also had no idea where the tests are, but they told me to call the hospital. I called the hospital. They don't have tests, but they transferred me to the COVID-19 hotline to answer my questions. Since I was transferred on a medical provider line, I actually got through. Progress. The lady on the hotline was very kind and professional and understood my concern, both about my own health and those at my clinic. However, I was told I do not qualify for testing, and I was not given a timeline for info on current resources. So who does qualify? Those who have been out of the country in the last 14 days and those who have contact with one of the few people who have been tested and came up positive. That's it. The only way I can get treated is if my symptoms get so bad I develop, I think she means tested, pneumonia or bronchitis, which is very likely in my case. Then I'll be in the ER and I'll be quarantined for several days while waiting for a test and the results to come back. This is all incredibly frustrating because I'm trying to do everything right in a system that punishes moments of weakness like taking days off. It's also scary that, to know that I won't be able to get help until I need life support. To sum up, this is not contained. Nobody knows what the F is happening. I can't work. Wash your effing hands. And then, uh, you know, there's actually a, a hashtag, Coronavirus Seattle. And then she gives the COVID-19 hotline. But, I mean, this is just an absolute... I mean, it's here in Oregon, the entire state has 1,500 test kits, and we think that we have at least 1,500 people right now who have this virus in this state, which means that if every one of them infects, you know, two people or three people, and then every one of them infects two, this is the old chessboard trick, you know, from the old Persian king. Yes, thank you very much for giving me the choice of what kind of reward I want for the great job I did for you. Just take a chessboard and put one penny on the first square and then put two pennies on the second square and then four pennies on the third square. Just keep doubling it on each square and I'll take all those pennies. And it turns out it's more pennies than there are grains of sand in the ocean. I mean, this is, you know, exponential growth. This is how it happens. So anyhow, a lot going on here and stick around. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? 
Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. As you know, I talk about it frequently on this program. I am a subscriber to Popular Information, which is a newsletter that Judd Legum puts together. Every day it comes in my email box. It's free. Popular.info is the website, and Judd's Twitter handle is Judd, L-E-G-U-M. Judd, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tom. You have knocked it out of the park. You've got two major stories in Popular Information. The first about the CDC trying to, or at least the Trump administration, trying to bury some of the coronavirus statistics. And the second about Facebook and the Daily Caller and fact-checking. Let's just you know, quickly cover both of those, if, sure. if that's okay with you. To start, what's going on with the statistics that we're getting out of the CDC and other uh, agencies in the federal government? I, I saw at the top of Daily Kos that Mr. Esper, the Secretary of Defense, basically told the military, don't say anything to anybody, have it all go through me and Mike Pence. In other words, we're going to keep a lid on this stuff. Is the same thing happening with the CDC? Yeah, it appears that way. As you know, the testing is really the key issue here, because what happened was is that the Trump administration was taking some action, trying to limit entry through borders. But in the meantime, it was the coronavirus was spreading within the borders of the United States and no one was being tested or very few people were being tested. As of last Friday, there were fewer than 500 people being tested. And I knew that and other people knew that because the CDC was publishing statistics about how many people were tested. But then um, looked back at that same page and that information was no longer available. They just removed it from the chart. So now we don't know how many people are tested. And it's, it's really a key piece of information because until we test a critical mass of people, we will have no idea whether we have a handle on what the scope of the threat from this virus is within the United States. You, right. know, you can say, oh, well, there's only 100 people who have been confirmed. Well, if you've only tested 500 people, that doesn't tell you that much. Right, exactly, exactly. When you look at countries that are, you know, in, in South Korea, they've, they've tested, what, 100,000 people, something like that? I think it's close to that by now. As of a few days ago, it was 60,000 people. They have drive-through testing. You can, you can stay in your car and they'll test you. Wow. I mean, they're really ramping it up. Yeah. And that's what you need to do because you need to know where the outbreaks are. You need to help people protect themselves. You need to quarantine people and make sure that they're not out there spreading it to other people. And am I, uh, am, I, have the virus. am I correct in recalling that it was in November when we first started hearing about this virus breaking out in Wuhan, China, and that certainly by the time we were hearing it in the public news, yeah. you would think that the national security agencies would have you know, gotten it from their spy networks and whatnot, although I guess they have to feed their information through Fox News if they want to get it to Donald Trump. But he has had basically four months to get ready for this. And I, I was just reading the Oregonian this morning. I mean, we're a relatively small state, but still, we've got a few million people here in Oregon. And the entire state has 1,500 test kits. They've tested 38 people so far. They're being very, very careful, shall we say, with who they test because they, they just don't have you know, enough test kits and they're concerned about a larger outbreak. I mean, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, and I've heard that as well, anecdotally. I've got it ever since I put out that information. I have people from all around the country contacting me, telling me that, you know, they've got these symptoms and they're trying to get tested, but they can't get tested because they don't meet the criteria yet. Right. I think for a long time, they were really only testing people who had been to 
China and then maybe some of these other countries like South Korea or had knew that they had contact with those people. Right. But now they may be they may be lessening that now that they've loosened up some of the restrictions and they have more capacity to test people. But we don't know. And that's why the information is really important, because the failure as of last week to really test any substantial number of Americans was a big deal. Yeah. And, and, and we should have been we doing this in December. It's getting better, but we, don't, we really don't know at this point. Right. We should have been doing this in December. We should have been doing it in January. We should have been yeah. doing it in February. Here it is, March, and we can't even get the damn test kits. I think, you know, they say that there's going to be a million of them available next week. I have not heard that from any authoritative source outside of people saying, well, this is what the White House says. So God only knows. Speaking yeah. of facts and fact checking, you have been one of my best sources of information about what's going on inside Facebook and how Facebook is basically working to promote right wing causes and Donald Trump and right wing politicians. And part of that is that they're one of their fact checkers is the Daily Caller, which is a notorious right wing rag. And their foundation is funded in part by a group that denies climate change, among other things. Tell us about what's going on over at Facebook. Yeah, this is something I've had my eye on for a while. Last year, basically caving into pressure from conservatives, they decided to add the Daily Caller to their group of independent fact checkers. The group prior to Daily Caller joining was the Associated Press, PolitiFact, a lot of the places you probably heard. Right. Conservatives were saying those are liberal biased sources. You need to have a conservative to balance them out, which is fairly absurd, but okay, that's what they said. So they've added the Daily Caller, and really what this allows the Daily Caller to do is really any piece of content that's, that's posted to Facebook, it can judge that it's ruled false information, and then there's warnings that pop up uh, when you try to post that information, and even if you do post it, uh, the distribution is, is greatly reduced. I think it's 80% or more, and also that entire publication other articles by that publication will be reduced, uh, the distribution will be reduced for a period of time. So what my article today talks about is how the Daily Caller took an article by Politico, which reported that President Trump had referred to the coronavirus as a hoax and labeled that false information. Hey, I heard him say it. Um, I mean, you know, he was, it was yeah. at one of his rallies. I heard him say it was not yeah. a hoax. He said it was a Democratic hoax. Yeah. And that's what he did say. And I think that, and, and you know, he he speaks circularly. Uh, so you could, you could parse the language a bunch of different ways. And I think he said, this is a hoax after talking about the coronavirus. So what was the this? What he's saying, what he later said the next day, actually, was where he was referring to the Democratic criticisms of it. Right. The, the reality is you can't really disentangle all of those things. He said the Democratic criticisms are invalid because... It's not that big of a threat. So, so the hoax is everything. It's the criticisms and it's the virus itself. Yeah. Anyway, Daily Caller takes the most positive spin on this. Essentially, the president's spin adapts it and labels this Politico article false. I actually subsequently learned they, there's an NBC article that largely said the same thing, that they've also uh, tagged as false. And, you know, now that information, it is shaping the narrative. There's millions of people getting news, and that information is now not being read to the extent that it would be without the Daily Caller's intervention. Right, and, and so not only is it an issue right here, but it's going to be an issue moving forward. And Facebook is a primary source of news information for what thirty percent of Americans? Some mind-boggling number. Yeah, and there's you know 180 million Americans on Facebook. Uh, many of them get news from Facebook. Facebook's making a big effort to break into news. They have a new news product. And they seem to be determined to cater to the right wing. And why should the Daily Caller, which has a history, uh, a long history of just really absurd misinformation, publish white nationalists, publish one of the organizers of the of column from one of the organizers of the Charlottesville March. Why should it be passing judgment on Politico, on NBC News? I mean, it just makes no sense. Right. But Facebook is, you know, going along with it. Judd Legum, the newsletter is uh, popular information. It's popular.info on the Internet. And it's really worth adding to your list of things to read every morning when it arrives. Judd, you're doing great work. Thanks so much for being with us today. 
Thanks a lot, Tom. Good talking with you. And you can also tweet Judd at Judd, L-E-G-U-M, Legum. Here on the Tom Hartman program, speaking the truth, multinational corporations and Facebook would probably really rather you didn't know about. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Oh, my. Uh, Jonathan in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jonathan, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to talk about a few nuances about the testing for the coronavirus. Mm. Look on the, the CDC website. I'm not sure if you addressed this yet, but tests for COVID-19. Um, people have to understand that first, that this test is unapproved by the FDA. It's actually in use based on what's called an EUA, an emergency use authorization. And the test does not detect the virus. It detects the antibodies. But the problem is that it doesn't work very well because they were having problems manufacturing the reagents that would verify the tests. And I am um, scratching my head as to precisely what this test is or how well it works. On the bottom of their website, they actually say that researchers are currently working to develop the basic parameters for the test, which will be refined. And then it goes on to actually, there's a link that to solicit uh, tests from private industry. So, yeah. yeah, so so Trump is trying to privatize this whole thing. And again, he sat on this for four months. This is just completely nuts. It's just nuts. Jonathan, thanks for the for the info. Stella in Seattle. Hey, Stella, what's on your mind? Yesterday, Jay Inslee and the King County executive, Dal Constantine, and the health officer get, got on to, I think, Cairo or something, and they um, updated everybody on the coronavirus, because it sounds like we're on ground zero of it. And we are testing people right now through the health department in King County. He said 200 tests a day, but that's like 100 people because they do two people, two tests for one person. Mm -hmm. And then they also said that next week they'll be starting to test people. Uh, The University of Washington will also start testing people at about the same capacity. So like about 100 people a day. So that's like 200 people a day that they would be able to. Yeah. And here in Oregon, we have the we've been informed that we have the capacity to test 80 people a day. And there's a total of 1500 test kits available to the state. Again, this is, you know, these test kits should have been around in December, in January. I mean, this 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 is Mm -hmm. just this is just so wrong. Stella, thank you for the call and for the information. Bob in Buckeye, Arizona. Hey, Bob, what's up? Hey, just a quick statement, and it's off topic from the corona thing. I was wondering if you were aware. No, we're talking about Super that, Tuesday, uh, too. Right. Yeah, well, Tuesday, Texas closed down 542 polling locations in disproportionately high Latinx and black areas of the state. Oh, this is what Brian Kemp did in Georgia. He closed a whole bunch of polling places in black neighborhoods. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, the Supreme Court, when they blew up, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act basically handed to the Republican-controlled states the ability to play these kind of games. Is there a place where I can find verification of what you're, what you're asserting, Bob? The Guardian. The Guardian. Okay, I'll check it out. Bob, thanks a lot and for the call. Yeah. Arizona's the same way. We, uh, we had our uh, county recorder close on a bunch of them. Uh, Last year. So. Yeah. I mean, the, the only way Republicans can win elections anymore is by cheating. That's what it comes down to, because Americans have figured out what a scam the GOP is. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Bob. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. And I'm w- still waiting for some Republican to explain to me why in 2000 they flipped the American star, the five-pointed star, upside down into the satanic star for the GOP logo. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite.
By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tom Hartman here with you. And my book tour is done. I was in Chicago over the weekend. Just an amazing little story here. Maybe it's a little off color. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's a sign, though, that people are taking this seriously. When the airport's really, really busy, I, you know, I went through really busy airports. And when the airports are really, really busy and you need to use the bathroom in the men's room, typically if it's in the morning, there's a long line for people who want to use the stalls. And if it's any other time of the day, there's a long line for people who want to use the urinals. For the first time in my life, I've walked into a men's room in an airport and seen a long line people lined up waiting to use the sinks to wash their hands. And I mean, <laughs> so people are taking this stuff seriously. We've got this coronavirus outbreak that apparently is spreading around several states right now. Uh, Washington state, we've got cases here in Oregon. We've got the community spread case was announced in Chicago. That's happening. So the three big clusters apparently of coronavirus are in Italy and China and South Korea. And I'm seeing this too, and I don't see how our economy can make it through this, frankly. Long term, yeah, sure, no problem. We'll, we'll get through this. But over the short term, we have right now, and I saw this, you know, yeah, the planes, the planes are still full, but I don't know how much longer they're going to continue to be full. And, you know, people are canceling travel plans, uh, companies are canceling travel plans. People are not going to restaurants as frequently. I mean, people are, I think right across the board, you know, the first industry that's going to, that's going to get beat up with this and going to get beat up badly with this is going to be the travel industry. And I could just tell you myself, I was very uncomfortable flying. Over the last two weeks, I was in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, and in Chicago, you know, for this book tour thing. And Every single time I'd get on the plane and I'd wonder, you know, who was the person who sat before me on this seat? And I'm trying not to touch surfaces and things. And it's got to be a scary time for flight attendants, too. I think our economy is going to take a hit. I really do. Kurt in Los Angeles. Hey, Kurt, what's up? Hey, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. You know, listening to your program this morning, 
made me want to suggest that I think we all need to write and call our congressmen and governor and state reps and demand emergency funding for the test kits, yeah. uh, for respirators. I yeah. think price controls. I think we're at the point yeah. where they shouldn't be able to gouge for face masks and sanitizer. Yep. And then look at what Governor Cuomo's done. I don't want to quote exactly, but apparently he's asked the Department of Insurance to require the insurance companies to waive any copay when people go into That's uh, correct. emergency rooms. Yep. Yep. And, and uh, yeah. And and uh, I mean, the, so individual states are starting to do things. And, and that's great. Jay Inslee in Washington, uh, you know, our governor here in Oregon, that's uh, Kate Brown, right? <laughs> I should know. And in California, you know, you've got a governor who's on top of this thing. But but, you know, again, this should have been handled by the federal government three months ago. It was no secret that this was coming. Kitty in Delray Beach, Florida. Hey, Kitty. What's up? Thanks for listening Hi. to Sirius XM. Always. I appreciate you. So in Florida, what we do when we go fishing is we wear something called a fishing buff, and it protects your skin from the sun. And, you know, they say that the masks won't protect you from the virus, but it stops kids from putting their hands all in their nose and their mouth. It's called and a I'm fishing mask, did you say, M-A-S-K? No, buff, B-U-F-F. Oh, okay. A fishing buff. It's kind of like a scarf. It's UV protection and all that, but... Huh. If you don't have masks and, you know, you have kids and you don't want your kids to be putting their hands in their mouth or, you know, you're weary in public, if you, you, you could still get a whole bunch of them. They're like $9 on Amazon, and you pull them up over your face, and it actually protects way more of your face than a mask would. Huh. Um, so that's like a little tip for people if they're really worried and they have children they don't want their kids touching their face. Again, I know right. that it's not going to stop a virus from going through it, but right. I think it is some measure. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is um, to make your own hand sanitizer. You could take get aloe vera and mix it up with alcohol, and there's your hand sanitizer. Right, right. So and I, and my understanding is one-third aloe vera liquid and two-thirds isopropyl alcohol, which you could buy for like three bucks. If Although our yeah. local Costco here in Portland was totally sold, or the uh, Target, rather, was completely sold out uh, day before yesterday. You can just also just take a piece of paper towel and moisten it with isopropyl alcohol and wipe down surfaces and things like that. So, you know, all, yeah. all good stuff. Kitty, thank you very much for that. It's great to hear from you. David in Spotswood, New Jersey. Hey, David, what's up? I read something on CNBC by Jim Cramer. Mm-hmm. He said specifically that the rate cut astounded him and surprised him, and that he thought it, it's worse than he had thought, and the, and the market went down. I read that in, in the Global Monitor by Yanis Varoukas. He specifically said in the book, when the Fed cuts the rate, it's going to have a counterintuitive effect because of the wealth effect. And people are going to say, wow, it must be worse than I thought, and the market's going to sell off. Well, it was a big, if I, if I caught the news correctly, and I haven't, frankly, had the time to go in and like, you know, read a good detailed story about the rate cut, but what I thought I heard on television was that it was a, a half a point cut. Is that 50 or 500 basis points? I guess that would be uh, 50, 50 basis, basis points, basis right? Point. Yeah, uh, and, and yes. so that's a large cut. Yes, but um, so that's what Jim Cramer was saying. A, a cut this large, uh, you know, means that they're freaked out. Is that was essentially what he was saying? That they're frightened. Well, yeah, but he was saying it was because of the wealth effect. In other words, it, low interest rates are propping up the market. People can't can't you can't buy a CD and retire on it anymore. You're forced to go into the stock market, right. and that creates wealth effect. When the stock market is up, everybody feels good and spends. He said that specifically when the Fed cuts. People are going to freak and say, wow, it must be worse than I thought. Right. When it's, a, when it's supposed to raise the market because people are supposed to have less alternatives right. rather than stocks, and it, they're supposed to sell off bonds and go back into the market. Right. And it's not going to work. As he said, people would freak. And he, he exact, the exact quote that Jim Cramer had on CNBC is what Yanis Varoukas wrote in his book, The Global Minotaur, and he wrote it 10 years ago. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, my, you know, my sense of it is that cutting interest rates, if you have supply problems and you have demand problems, if people are not buying things because they're concerned about, you know, even going to the store and companies are not able to manufacture goods because they can't get parts, reducing interest rates so companies can borrow money or so the consumers can borrow money to spend is not going to stimulate the economy. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now. I think what we're seeing is, the, is that the Fed has reached the end of their rope.
Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Denise in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Denise, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's on your mind today? Oh, thanks for having me. Hey, I, I heard somebody call in and you had mentioned, too, that the CDC is not only taking down information. I just want to point out to you and to your listeners that not only are they taking down information, but they their numbers are drastically different from what you will get from other resources. For example? Um, for example, I'm a writer and a researcher, and the website that we use for our research in helping people through this emerging virus is from Johns Hopkins. It's what? a pretty long, yeah, it's a gnarly URL. It's not friendly at all because, you know, people in the medical industry don't, you know, put up friendly URLs. But here it is, systems.jhu.edu. All right, you're going to go there. You're going to see a pop-up screen that helps you track COVID. And then just so that you know, it is I not 2% death rate. It's 3.4, almost 3.5. This website's going to blow your mind. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Now, again, the, the, when, we, when we say total confirmed, this, this is tested this is and confirmed. Yeah, you know, I get that. But, yeah. but when, yeah. you, when you look, you know, when you scroll way, way down and you look at uh, the United States, uh, it's like we've only tested, according to the CDC, 472 people or something like that. And so uh, the total recovered is fascinating. 33,000 yes. people have recovered in Hubei in mainland China. Yes. So that's, yes. that's good yes. news. Well, that is good news, but it does clearly show you that the death rate is much closer to 4%. But hang on just a second, just to yes. toss another thing in here that may suggest that the number actually, the fatality rate is actually lower than what you're suggesting. Look at, at Iran, for example. Iran has 54 deaths and only 978 diagnosed cases, right? That's well so over, that, that's, that's over 5%, which means, which tells me not that the disease is more deadly in Iran, but that they're not testing as many people in Iran. They're only looking at the people who are really, really sick. And I'm guessing that that's right. probably happening, uh, certainly in the United States, you know, with a total confirmed of 86, that that's probably happening in a lot of places that we just really, I'm guessing the death rate is probably closer to 1% because I'm guessing that, that 70, 80% of the people who, you know, outside of the known epidemic areas like in, in Hubei, that most of these people are never being tested because they're not sufficiently symptomatic. Well, I don't know that that would make it lower. I think the fact that people aren't being tested might even make it higher. Well, no, I mean, I the death rates are way. known. If somebody dies, you know that they're dead. But if somebody has the disease and they're not tested, they don't show up in the tested statistics. And your, and your death rate is, as a percentage is the number of deaths divided into the number of confirmed cases, which is nobody right, right, tested. Right. So if we're not right. testing as many people, I mean, South Korea has has uh, you know 4,300 test uh, con you know confirmed cases because they're doing so many tests. But if you look at the South Korean deaths, it's only 26. So that's uh, well, well, I that's can only 2%. imagine though that there. I can only imagine there are thousands of people also right now dying of the flu, and they're not. Maybe maybe it's uh, COVID nineteen. Who knows? You never know. Yeah, anyway, I just be. wanted to bring to your attention. Well, thank there, you for that. Yeah. The, the CDC.org, please. Yeah. Okay, bookmark this page, use it, watch the numbers grow. Over you know the past four, four weeks that we've been using this for our research, there hasn't even been a dot in the U.S. So now look at it. Yeah, and the <laughs> website, once again, is systems.jhu, as in John Hopkins University, dot edu. Systems.jhu dot edu. Very good. And yeah. Click yeah, on have the, fun with that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I, I really appreciate it, Denise. Thank you for the information. And uh, that was a great one. Uh, thank you. All right. Heather in Lansing, Michigan. Hey, Heather, what's on your mind? I was thinking back when the, the Wuhan virus, or I'm sorry, the coronavirus information was just starting to become mainstream. And we heard about the kid in France who was asymptomatic, but he tested positive. Right. So... What if kids, not that they have a natural immunity, but their immune system has kind of a muscle memory because elementary school kids have all gotten their vaccinations within, I don't know, a handful of years. But us old folks haven't had regular vaccines or haven't been bombarded with vaccines in decades right. in most cases. So we just, our bodies don't remember how to assimilate 
in, in reading the speculation in the science publications, and there's several that I read every day, the two main theories that I'm seeing are that young people's immune systems, one theory is that it's not the virus that kills you, it's your body's response to it. And, and this is, you know, I mean, we know this already about a lot of diseases. The body fever turns on the production of, you know, the, of the, the germ-killing white blood cells, you know, the macrophages. Sure, and it's, not, it's not the virus, it's the pneumonia that you get from yeah, contacting the virus. Right, or, you know, yeah, particularly yeah. if you get like a bacterial or something like that. But therefore, these relatively naive, is the word, immune systems that these kids have, have not responded to a number of coronaviruses yet. And so right. they don't launch a huge and overwhelming immune response. And the virus doesn't, doesn't do that much damage to the body. And so it just kind of right. exists there for a while and then gets slowly knocked out. That's one theory, that, that the immune system is not acting. The other theory is that the immune system is overacting because young kids are exposed to so many coronaviruses. If you, you know, and any parent can tell you this, when, when your two-year-old starts going into, into daycare, suddenly everybody in the house, everybody in the family is getting sick every other week with a brand new you know, variation on a head cold or a throat cold or a sore throat or whatever. Right. And a lot of these are coronaviruses. And so it may be that these kids have been recently infected with a bunch of coronaviruses. Right. And therefore, when they confront this new one, the body just goes, oh, it's just another one of those. The so, thing the Nobody thing that's knows. throwing me, though, with that train of thought in those theories is that overwhelmingly children and elderly people are more susceptible to the annual flu yes. that goes around. More children die and are deathly ill from the flu right. than they seem to be getting from this particular coronavirus. So right. I'm, I'm wondering how does the the immunoresponse factor into the annual flu. Right, and, and your point of, you know, this may have something to do with vaccinations, and it might not even be the vaccines. It might be the adjuvants that they put in the vaccines, the things that are mostly, it's aluminum That's that true. is put in there to stimulate the immune response in response to the vaccine itself. I don't know how long that lasts in the body. I don't know how long it continues to stimulate the immune system. But, you know, all this stuff is speculative right now. But, uh, Heather, thank you. It's a, a thought-provoking conversation. Good talking with you. Dan in Minneapolis, let's see, on 950. 50 a.m. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Great to talk with you. Me and my wife, we feel the burn here in Minneapolis, so we got Bernie's back. Cool. But the reason for my call is, you know, Dr. Don and his getting a regular flu shot to fix, you know, coronavirus is kind of like me putting diesel fuel in my car with gasoline, thinking that just because it's fuel, it should work. Right. But what I want to get to is the mortality rate. And I believe it's a cover-up by this administration not to test people because they already know what the numbers are going to look like. So if we go back to a day or two ago with 100 people being verified with the coronavirus and six people dying, okay, and just for simple math, globally, the mortality rate is around 2%. Right, so but here in the U.S. it's 6%, but uh, that makes no sense. That wh What that means, you know, because I think the actual mortality rate is probably closer to 1%, because you know, we're just not testing everybody. And, and you know, South Korea is probably going to tell us a lot. Well, and you're right, and, but the other side, let's just break that down to one more area. Washington State had 18 confirmed cases. Well, all six of those deaths came from there. Now right. it's 33%. Right, so right. When you look at it, it's like... I'm Which is not possible. What, what that means is that there's a lot of people walking around loose carrying the virus who just think that they have a bad cold, yeah. right? in, in my mind. And they are spreading it, and they're spreading it to other people who may be vulnerable and may, you know, get sick and die. And that's why we need aggressive testing. And once again, uh, and sadly, Donald Trump has known this was coming for four months and hasn't done a damn thing. Not a damn thing. That is, in my mind, that is politically criminal. And, and you're right. If somebody be held accountable, and now he's got the anti-science guy, Mr. Pence, in there monitoring this. Right. And yeah, Mike Pence Americans thinks you know he he's a pray the gay away. Maybe he's maybe he's going to say start saying we should all pray pray away the the coronavirus. I it's 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 just crazy stuff. Dan, thank you for the call. This I think is very interesting. Nouriel Robini, he was the guy who back in 2007 was saying, look out, the economy's going to crash. And he just told the German newspaper Der Spiegel that 
he is expecting now a stock market drop of as much as 40% this year. Now, the market's up, and it's up in almost all probability because the uh, central banks, the U.S. central bank, the Chinese central bank, the Japanese central bank, they're all talking stimulus. They're all talking about lowering interest rates and pumping more money into the economy and buying bonds and, you know, making, you know, <laughs> making the world safe for the fat cats again. But is Dr. Doom right? I think he is. And I, if you look at a 40 or 50 year graph of the stock market, what you see is this, whoom, you know, it's just, it's exploded in the last 15 years or so, or 20 years, you know, since around 2000, in ways that it frankly shouldn't have. I, I think we are still in a bubble economy with regard to the stock market. And you know, already Trump is starting to lose his talking point. I mean, one of his, we are the greatest economy ever. Well, no, we don't have the greatest economy ever. Wages are stagnant. People are working two and three jobs. Yeah, unemployment is low, but so is workforce participation. You've got 10,000 boomers, uh, you know, a day aging out of the workforce as well. So he's going to lose that talking point. And Nuriel Rubina points that out too. What's more, he said that uh, this is from uh, Raw Story here, Brad Reed at uh, Raw Story. What's more, Rubini said that Trump's campaign was toast no matter who wins the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. He says the Democratic field is poor, but Trump is dead, politically speaking, of course. He said he's seen fears about coronavirus already impacting his local economy. He says, I live in New York City and people there are hardly going to restaurants, cinemas or theaters. If it comes, we are totally screwed. He actually dropped the F-bomb, but you get the point. And I think it's, it's absolutely fascinating. First, Donald Trump fired Rear Admiral Tim Zeimer. Now, Tim Zeimer was the director of global health security on the National Security Council. And in that position, he was responsible for coordinating responses to global health emergencies and potential pandemics. He was praised as one of the most quietly effective leaders in public health. He worked on malaria during the Obama administration and literally is credited with saving millions of lives. But instead of replacing him, I mean, he wasn't actually political. He was a rear admiral. But instead of replacing him, Trump just eliminated the position. No more director of global health security at the National Security Council, period, gone. And then Dr. Luciana Borio, the National Security Council director for medical and biodefense preparedness, left the same month, was not replaced. And so now we've got this you know, worldwide spread of this coronavirus. And as this outbreak is growing more severe, uh, Trump didn't want to bring somebody new in because, well, that would look like a failure. If we have to bring in somebody from the outside, this was the whole argument. So he put Mike Pence in charge. Now, Anthony Fauci, who is the director of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and has been doing this kind of stuff for decades, and really gets it, he was booked for all five of the Sunday shows, right? And instead, Pence took his place and said, no, you know, we're not going to have scientists talking. You know, nobody talks unless I approve it. Mike Pence has to approve it. And so they played this clip, this was on CNN's State of the Union, of Donald Trump Jr. on Fox News saying, Democrats want millions of people to die so they can blame it on Trump. And Brian Kilmeade said, are you surprised the way they've been handling the coronavirus situation, meaning Democrats, Trump Jr.? Not at all. I mean, we've seen, like you said, we've seen this play out for four years. Anything they can use to try to hurt Trump, they will. And, but for them to try to take a pandemic and seemingly hope that it comes here and kills millions of people so they could end Donald Trump's streak of winning is a new level of sickness. Jake Tapper then asks Mike Pence, can we agree that neither Democrats nor Republicans want Americans to get the coronavirus and die from it? And Pence wouldn't say, yes, we can agree on that. I mean, this is how bizarre it is. He says, oh, Don Jr.'s comments are understandable because there's been very strong rhetoric directed at the president. And Chuck Todd asks Mike Pence, you know, who, name some names of irresponsible Democrats who are promoting this rhetoric. And the only thing Pence could come up with was a column in the New York Times in which Gail Collins, who's simply a column writer, said, let's call it the Trump virus. Right. This is nuts. 
Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. Uh, Lindsay in London, Pennsylvania. Hey, Lindsay, what's on your mind today? Hi, thanks for taking my call. I had a question about the delegates for all these candidates who are now dropping out and endorsing Biden. And then as a follow-up to that question, you know, it seems like the narrative right now is it's going to be Sanders and Biden. So Elizabeth Warren's votes, unless something huge happens today, Elizabeth Warren's votes, the delegates assigned to them, at some point, should they then suspend their candidacy? That's a huge, probably, at least for Warren, going to be a huge number of again, delegates that could really shift the tide, are they beholden to, like, how, how does that work? My understanding is that when you are in the race and an election happens, that the delegates that you get are basically like cards in your hand. They're essentially your property. And where I got this notion was from this conversation I had two weeks ago, where an old friend of ours who's a member of the DNC, and he's actually on the rules committee for the convention, and he's also head of a very large progressive organization. He's a solid Bernie guy. And he said that if Bernie doesn't have the 50% plus one number of delegates going into the convention, and Elizabeth Warren stays in the race so that she will continue to accumulate some delegates. A combined number of the two of them is greater than 50%. At that point, Bernie and Warren, and this is not a conversation he had with Bernie that he was telling me about, this is just his theory, that at that point, Bernie and Warren would have the same conversation that Obama and Clinton had in 2008, where Obama needed Clinton's delegates. He offered her the VP slot. She turned that down and said, I'd rather be Secretary of State. And he got her delegates and he became the nominee. So that's one possible scenario. What I don't know is what happens to Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg are going to get votes here on Super Tuesday. I mean, there's there's millions and millions of right. people all across the country who've already voted. And whether those delegates will be assigned to them after the fact, or whether those delegates go into some sort of weird pool, or whether those delegates can be claimed by Joe Biden, I don't know the answer to that question. So thank you very much for the call. Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Nancy in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind today? Well, hi, Tom. I have spoken with you before, and it's usually about teaching, and this does have to do with the medical crisis. Mm-hmm. After I graduated from college in 72, back in Elkhart, Indiana, I would say about 1973 or 74, when we had to go back to school, we teachers had to convene in some place like, uh, oh, it would be like in the school theater or in the gyms. We all had to get there. And we had to be tested. All of us had to be tested automatically for even the TB. That back then, we, I mean, even, even then, I should say, we had to all be tested for TB before we could go back to school and teach. Yep. I remember so that. I would think, you know, okay, I don't know who was paying for it. I'm sure it was in taxes. Yeah. I, I doubt if we bargained for it. Yeah, but I, that I, would I, seem I, very... Yeah, I remember those tests. There, there was the TB tine test, which was this little finger thing that had three little uh, things on it that they'd stick you yeah. with. And then, and then I also had a TB test once. And then, this is when uh, Louise and I were running a community for abused kids. This was, you know, late seventies, early eighties, mm-hmm. where they just gave me a little shot under the, you know, in on the yeah. inside of my arm, uh, just a little created a little bubble of stuff. And and then if it turned red, it meant that you were reacting, and therefore you had tuberculosis, and that was That's necessary. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't. They may and still that was do very that. Very common. Yeah. No, because you know, school. Also, people don't get together at the beginning of school. You know, we right. all wanted to be in our classrooms. Right. We didn't want to be right. meeting with the with all the people that you know ran the school system. Right. But that was so common. And why not have that kind of stuff before yeah, the, you, before the, you begin to teach or anything? Yeah, and this this is my sense of how this this coronavirus thing is going to play out. There's going to be you know the initial stage of you know kind of freak out, and then it's going to become more of like okay, this is what we have and this is what we have to deal with, and as we develop drugs for it and hopefully vaccines for it. You know, it's it's you know it's gonna we're gonna settle in. We're you know it's and hopefully it'll go the way of polio. You know, and it'll just vanish. We can get yes, rid of it. right. You said the administration should be the first to even think about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Nancy, thanks for sharing that story. It's a great one. And, th- and thank you for calling and watching us on Free Speech TV. Barbara in Seattle. Hey, Barbara, what's up? Well, everybody should watch the DVD, Eleanor, and it. It's about Eleanor you, Roosevelt. Yes, and it tells you how the only person when she died the nsc took over and truman's grandson said 
that his father, his grandfather, did not regret dropping the nuclear bomb, but he regretted signing the NSC, because ever since then, we've essentially had the intelligence agencies, the CIA, take over our foreign policy. Yeah. And There's a really good biography of the Dulles brothers that largely makes that same point. And, but there's uh, even a better book. Yeah. Al McCoy, page 39 in the Shadows of the American Century. Page okay. 39, it says what Mark Twain said about empire. And it's all got, so got the page at, at the bottom of the page about Biden. Yeah. But, I will check it out. Barbara, thank you for the call. Thanks so much for being with us today. And don't forget, democracy isn't a spectator sport. It requires you, and it also requires information. So please tell your friends how to find progressive media. There's all kinds of ways to get this show and a lot of other great progressive media out there. So tell your friends. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.